Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue looking through this particular book. I mean, this chapter of this book, very rich chapter. As did you stand with me as we read? We'll be reading about just about three verses. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 8. This is a little bit of overlap from last week, but we're starting with this for tonight's message. Verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he answered, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And then notice the phrase, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended, the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. We thank you so much for how wise of a God that you are and how that within your wisdom you establish things, Lord, for our good and for your glory. So, Lord, guide us tonight that we may understand better your plan for the church. And, Lord, that we may continue to work within the parameters and the plan that you have for the church. Lord, we do pray for Anchor Baptist Church that we will stay strong. Stay strong upon your words. Stay strong in our walk with you. And that we'll truly be the lighthouse you intend for us to be. Guide now, Lord, our thoughts. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, it teaches over in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. He said, he's writing, he's talking, of course, about pastors and deacons. And he says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. And then notice what it says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Oh, how we need truth. And you know, the thing about it, nowhere else will we really ever find truth. You won't find it from the government. You don't find it through the media. Uh, you don't find it, sad to say, even in education. You might get certain elements of truth, a certain little truth here and there. But as far as the whole aspect, the entirety of truth, the only place that God has established that to happen is through the local church. And we need to be greatly concerned about the importance of staying faithful, of proclaiming the truth of God. We're seeing more and more churches and denominations that are veering off, more concerned about being people-friendly than being God-friendly, more concerned about pleasing people and tickling their ears than pleasing God by proclaiming His Word. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing so many churches, denominations changing their position on biblical issues just so that they may be inclusive. We need to understand that God holds us accountable as a church to maintain the importance of being a pillar of the truth of God. So that when people come to our church, they know for sure they're going to hear, thus saith the Lord. In order to help enable that, we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, again in verse 8, how he led captivity and gave gifts unto men. And so you think, well, what in the world is he talking about when he talks about giving gifts unto men? 
And I believe what you, there are other passages that deal with it. We don't have time to go into it. That talks about what God calls, or what we refer to as spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. You can find it also talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also in Romans chapter 12. Spiritual gifts that God gave to certain individuals for the purpose of enabling the ministry to fulfilling God's plan for the local church. And so that's what we were looking at. So I'd like to give a definition of what a spiritual gift is. It is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit in order to perform certain ministries within the body of Christ. And again, well, for example, if we go over to Romans chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 12, he talks about some of the different ones starting in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office or gift, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Then he starts listing some of the gifts. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Of our ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Are he that teacheth on teaching? Are he that exhorteth on exhortation? He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now we don't have time to go and that would be a toad study all in itself. But He's just talking about different gifts God gives to different individuals, different members of the body of Christ, so that we all may function as a whole to fulfill God-given principles of preaching and proclaiming the Word of God. And we all have different gifts. And we see here in Ephesians chapter 4 where God refers to what we might call leadership gifts. Leadership gifts. And so we're going to look at those a little bit and see what their functions were. And uh, within leadership gifts, they were all men. God wasn't sliding you women. He's got gifts for you also. All right. But the leadership gifts were all given to men. We see four listed here. And each and every one of them has a purpose. And uh, let me say this. Spiritual gifts are different than talents. Somebody has the talent to play the piano. That's not a spiritual gift. That's a talent. Some people have the gift that they can sing. That's a talent. Some people are good with mathematical numbers. That's a talent. That's not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are things that are particularly geared towards ministering within the body of Christ. And so let's look at these four listed here in verse, uh, verse 11. And he gave some <coughs> apostles... He gave some men the, the, the gift of being a prophet, and some he gave to be an evangelist, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, when you look at the grammatical setup of the, where you see the phrase pastors and teachers, that's really one gift. It's pastor-teacher. You can kind of put a hyphen there. He's referring to that's one gift. So we have four leadership gifts we see here. And God is the one that chooses who he gives them to. That is not our choice. Just like when the Lord called me to, be to to be a preacher. I mean, who would have thought that he would have chosen some short guy from down deep south Alabama to be a preacher? I would have never thought. You know, what do I know? Uh, and so, but that's God's choice. He called me. I didn't say, Lord, I'd like to be a preacher. No, it's a call from God. And same thing with the apostles. I mean, Jesus sought out the different men. I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. God called the men. 
Because they're, they're, what happens, you see a lot, especially in some Bible colleges, at least when I was at uh, Bob Jones, there are a lot of people, a lot of guys, they thought, Mama called them, I want you to be a preacher. Or Daddy called them, I want you to be a preacher. They weren't called of God, and they washed out. But when you're called of God, you don't wash out. You, you, you realize this is God's hand upon you. This is what you're gifted for. Now go forth and do it. And so that was the calling God put, God put upon my life. But so he did this for all four of these leadership gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. Now let's look at the different ones. Number one, the apostles. Now who were the apostles? The apostles start off with the 12. And then there's, there's Barnabas that was added. And then Paul was ad, added. And they, that was a one-time gift, period of time that God gave the gift of being an apostle. If you hear of other denominations that say, well, here's an apostle so-and-so, that's just some vague uh, title that they don't know what they're talking about. Once these men died, the gift of apostleship was done. And it had its purpose. We need to remember that the church in the first century was making a transition from following the Jewish law. If you wanted to worship the God, you had to go to Jerusalem, you had to get involved with the sacrificial system, you had to go to the priest, and all those things. Jesus was buried, resurrected, and it was a big transition. The veil was ripped in twain in the temple, and things were changing. Instead of going to the priest, you go straight to God. Instead of, instead of sacrificing, you had the Lord's Supper. Instead of doing a lot of the other things, baptism, water baptism was instituted. So there was a transition. And you think about it as you read through the book of Acts, how many, <clears throat> how many different things the apostles had to deal with to help the new church, the new dispensation, understand, no, this is the way you do it. For example, also like today, we worship today on Sunday instead of Saturday. Why? Because you saw that as you read through the book of Acts, they always met on the first day of the week. Sunday's the first day of the week. Well, I was thinking Monday the first day of the week, but really, it's Sunday. And while that was that part of that transition going on, and as you read in uh, Acts chapter 2, and the ch- church was getting started, and notice what it says there. This is, again, one of the, you might see the purpose of the apostles. It said in verse <clears throat> 41 and 42, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and notice it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine. The apostles were gifted by God to be apostles, and where God directly revealed to them, now no longer are we following the law, here's how we're going to do it. And so they laid the foundation, because you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, back in Ephesians, where it talks about... Um, verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So we see in that transitional time, God gifted certain men to be apostles to help the church transition to the church age. And then once that was accomplished, after the death of the apostle John, that gift was done. It was a temporary gift. And so, but they laid the foundation for the, local, for the church and how we were to operate, how we were to be organized, how we were to be conducted, and what our goal and purpose was. And so that was the gift of the apostle. Then we go to the next one, and we see that back in Ephesians 4, where he talks about the prophets. Being a prophet, again, was a call from God, a gift from God. And what is a prophet? 
all through the Bible. A prophet was not somebody that <clears throat> could see the future as much as what it was as God telling the individual, here's what I'm going to do in the future and I'm telling you about it and now you go and tell people about it. And that's what a prophet was. And whether you see all through the Old Testament, of course, you've got the major prophets and the minor prophets. But there was even some prophets in the day of, of uh, uh, the first century church. And again, the purpose of the prophets was to help in the transition and also the new doctrine. For example, Paul was also a uh, prophet. Because you read like in 1 Thessalonians 4 where he talks about the, the rapture. Of course, he doesn't use the word rapture, but we know what it means. Uh, then also you look at Peter in 2 Peter. He talks about you know, the last days, how things are going to burn up and, and things are going to be you know, refined, so to speak. That was the, Peter being a prophet. And then look at John, the whole book of Revelation. That's a prophetic book, primarily a prophetic book. God telling us what's going to happen in the future. You know, it's kind of a blessing to know that, just kind of like uh, Terry and I were talking. When you think about how bad the government is becoming so corrupt nowadays, when you think about how things are getting so out of sorts and just falling apart, when you read the book of Revelation, especially the last part of it, we're able to look forward with hope. One of these days, we're going to have a thousand-year reign with a perfect government. That gives us hope and it gives us peace. That's one reason God gave the gift, spiritual gift to some to be a prophet, to let us know what's going to happen in the future so we can have a certain ray of hope, knowing God is in control. How many, how many of you remember that uh, gospel song, I've read the end of the book and we win? You remember any of you heard that? Nobody's heard that? Well, I guess I'm an oddball. Well, that's beside the point. Okay. Oh, you heard it, Debbie? Okay, West Virginians have heard this song. Okay. <laughs> we know what we're talk what it's talking about. But as this song says, we read the end of the book. I mean, you know so how some people like to, they, they get a book and they wonder how it ends before they start. They go to the end of the book and read the end so that way they can kind of relax as they go through reading it. Well, you read the end of the Bible, we win. That gives us hope. That gives us peace. That's what prophets were for. The gift of being a prophet. And then we get to the, the next gift, and that's the gift, spiritual gift, of being an evangelist. Being an evangelist. And I believe the, the gift of being an evangelist and the gift of pastor-teacher, uh, God intended for that to be in and practice all through the church age. All through the church age. Now what does an evangelist do? I believe an evangelist... I mean, there were several ways we could look at it. We've had, you know, either like the Brother Coffee and the uh, uh, Gerards and the, um, what's the other one we bring in sometime? Um, yeah, we bring them in, we call them evangelists. They go from church to church to church for the purpose of exhorting them, exhorting the churches and building them up and uh, meeting them. But I think also an evangelist has the idea, too, that they're specially gifted for being able to be a good witness of leading people to Christ. I think to a certain extent, we might say missionaries have the spiritual gift of being an evangelist. They have that gift where they go out into a land they've never been to, a place they've never, they don't know anybody there, but they have the courage, they have the, the push, the drive given by God to go out and try to start a church. I believe they have the spiritual gift of being an evangelist. And some men, to, to even today, have that gift of being an evangelist. Uh, back in West Virginia, uh, there was, when I pastored there, we had one evangelist, uh, Brother Tim Spencer. 
He was called to be an evangelist, and he was, he was I'm, I took him many times to visit different people in the community when we'd have him come preach a week of revival. And I'm telling you, that guy, he could start talking to somebody, and before he knew it, he had him talking about the Lord, had him talking about where you at spiritually. I mean, with me, I might stumble and like wonder how in the world am I going to you know, get the conversation started. He just slid right in there very smoothly, and when I say smoothly, I'm not talking about like a slick car salesman. Uh, don't have any car salesman here, do we? Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I'm talking about smooth in the sense that he did it in such a way that it was so, they, it just pulled them out of themselves. He had the gift of being an evangelist. And so we, and we need people like that. Now, let me say this, though. Just because they have the spiritual gift of being an evangelist, of being a great witness, that does not mean that we say, well, I don't need to be a witness. Let the evangelist do it. We, all of us Christians have a God-given responsibility of being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate like what Brother uh, the Pastor says a lot of times about divine appointments. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to divine appointments of being able to witness as God opens up the different doors and different ways, even if it's just a, a one phrase of, uh, of the Scripture or one phrase about, well, praise the Lord, thank the Lord, something like that. Just good opportunities to speak the name of the Lord. Like it says in Psalm, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We, everybody that's a child of God has a God-given responsibility and opportunity to represent the Lord to those around us. Now, yes, the evangelist has a special gift, but that doesn't mean that we relinquish our responsibility just to them. But so, yes, God-given some the gift of being an evangelist. And then we get to our favorite one, the pastor-teacher. The pastor-teacher. Pastor, referring to the idea that he's a shepherd. Teacher, obviously what it means, teaching the Word of God. There's so many different passages that deal with this. And let me just share with you, uh, with, let's look at a few of them. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And God's Word says this. We'll refer to this also a little bit later. This is a true saying, if a man, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt. To teach. There again is that connection with teaching. And then let's go also to the same book, chapter 5, verse 17. Now you notice a different label here. Let's explain in a minute. Verse 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. A pastor, teacher, is called to be an ardent student of the word of God. Now, in chapter 3, verse 1, they're called bishops. In chapter 5, verse 17, they're called elders. And I think there's a purpose in the different terms used here. Bishop, the word bishop itself means overseer. Overseer. <clears throat> That's what a pastor is called to be. He's, he's called to be an overseer over the local church to guide it, direct it, and lead it in the way it ought to go. And then when you look at the word elder, I believe it's referring to somebody that has some maturity. Because generally speaking, older people are supposed to be mature, right? Supposed to be. Okay. Uh, there's some that's questionable about that. Uh, but the use of the term elder, meaning, again, mature, spiritually mature. Kind of like it teaches, one reason it says there in chapter 3, not a novice, less lifted up with pride. 
You don't get a, uh, you know, they say one of the da- most dangerous person is a uh, Bible student fresh out of college. He thinks he knows everything. And uh, <clears throat> that was my problem when I got fresh out of college and went to pastor. And, uh, I was there a year and a half, the church split. But that's a different story. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but uh, I, mean, I was trying to lead it to doctrinal purity and <clears throat> come to find out even one of the deacons wasn't even saved. So anyhow. So it wasn't all my fault, okay? Except for except for my immaturity. If I'd been, if I were to go back now and do it, I'd do it a totally different way, and it different may have had a different income. It was my immaturity. So that's the reason he said not a novice to be lift, uh, unless he be lifted up with pride. But there we talk about that's the reason he's called an elder, someone we think has got some spiritual maturity about him. Spiritual maturity. So I'm thankful that Brother Carl is an old man. You know. <laughs> uh, but uh, that, so that's what I, then one other passage over in First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. The elders which are among you, verse one, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partake of the glory that shall be revealed. And then he says, "Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof." Not by constraint, but willingly, not, a filthy, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now in this particular passage, in a sense, it brings all three titles together. It calls them elder, maturity. It calls them overseer, the bishop. And then talks about the chief shepherd, meaning that a pastor is an under-shepherd, some people call it, meaning that he's a shepherd of the flock entrusted to his care. And so that's what a pastor-teacher is. And when you think about a pastor-teacher, that is an extremely, extremely important gift from God. I thank the Lord that he has given to our church some very godly, and very doctrinally sound pastors. I mean, like I said, maybe not on, on staff, paid staff, but thank the Lord for Brother Brian and Brother Stan. Pastors that are true to the stuff, true to the Word of God, used of God to help teach and lead the way, the way we ought to be as God's people and as God's church. As we think about those four different gifts, Let's consider now the purpose of those four gifts. We've already alluded to some of it, but let's look at verse 12. He says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's look at those three phrases. They, that's what, but let's put it in the context referring to evangelists, but more even particular pastor teacher. The purpose of them is number one, the perfecting of the saints. How many of y'all are saints tonight? All right. All of us that are saved. All right, okay. Hopefully everybody here is saved. All right. But it's the perfecting of the saints. In other words, but we need to remember. The moment we are saved, we become a saint. But we don't all act saintly all the time. There is a difference. And so God raised up certain men, pastor, teachers, gifted them for the purpose of being used of God to help perfect or help mature the saints. 
Because we have to all be honest. We are not all saintly. We all have our issues. We're all different levels of our spiritual maturity. We're all different levels of our, uh, how we are growing in the Lord. Where we're at in our spirit towards the things of God. And so God gifted certain men to be a pastor teacher to help shepherd. You know what it means to be a shepherd? It means watching out over the flock. And if you know anything about sheep, I don't know too much about it except for what I've studied about it. Sometimes sheep can be wayward. Sometimes sheep cannot be cooperative. Sometimes, what you think about like it talks there in Psalm 23, when he's talking about the Lord is my shepherd, he says the rod and the staff. Well, what are they used for? Sometimes sheep need to be knocked on the head. Sometimes sheep need to be guided. Now, here's how you ought to respond to this particular situation. Here's what you need to believe. Here's how you need to correct this particular problem. And that's part of the responsibility of the pastor teacher, to shepherd the people, shepherd the sheep, to guide them, to lead them, to encourage them, to perfect the saints. And that's the reason, again, we need a pastor who's mature in the Lord so he can have discernment and lead the sheep to how to deal with life. I mean, because you think about it, that's so much of what Christian, biblical Christianity is about, knowing how to live life. It's not just about having the right beliefs. Now, that's extremely important because if you don't have truth, you really have no basis for how you live. So we need to be taught the the truth of God's Word. But why do we need to learn the truth of God's Word? So we may know how to live. So we may know how to respond. So we may know how to glorify the Lord and do it the way that pleases God. And so that's what a shepherd does. He, He shepherds and he teaches shepherds and he teaches and notice also like we read in first timothy chapter 5 verse 17 it says they're due double honor especially those that labor in the word and doctrine see that's one of the blessings of being able to take care of a pastor financially so he can give himself totally to the ministry of the word of god because you know you think about it especially you know that are not at the retirement age the average person does not have the time to spend on the Word of God like a pastor who is supported full-time. And so that's the reason we have the blessing of being able to have a pastor. We, we okay, give yourself totally to the ministry of the Word of God. And so he can study, and pastor does. I mean, I've been around him enough that he, he truly labors in the Word of God. And I'm so thankful for that, to see how he labors in the Word of God. And uh, so, I mean, I know he sometimes comes to the office and I feel bad having to interrupt him so many times because I know he's deeply intense and is doing the study and everything like that. But he's very gracious and, and he lets me interrupt him anyway. Uh, but uh, laboring in the Word of God. Why? So that he may teach us. Get insight that maybe we don't get because he has more time to study. Now, that doesn't mean, and I'm, he'll understand this, that doesn't mean he's smarter than we are. It doesn't mean that he's necessarily more spiritual than we are. It just means that he's had more time, thankfully, to be able to study, to get the insight and feed us the Word of God. That's what's so important. Let's never get the idea of like, all oh, the high and lifted up Carl Wood. No, he's a person just like you and I, and I know he'd agree with that. But because he's gifted to labor in the Word of God, so he can study and feed us the Word of God. 
That's what we need. That's what we need. And oh, how churches all across America, I hear more and more pre- people saying there's so many churches without pastors there to teach them and lead them. And we're seeing that happen, affect our society. Our society's falling apart. And one reason, a big reason, is because they're not the pure teaching of the Word of God. So thank God we have pastors in our church that preach and teach, thus saith the Lord. That's what they're gifted for, being a pastor, teacher. With that also, I'd like to think look at, for us to look at one more verse, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And again, referring to pastors, I believe this is a passage referring to that. Hebrews 13, verse 17, God's word says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Now, some people may say, well, that's referring to government. Well, when you read the context, it's not talking about the government. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. The government does not watch over our souls. That's a pastor teacher that does that. That's what he referred to. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I mean, this one verse has so, says so much. So he said, in other words, said, follow his leadership. As long as he's true to the word of God, he's a godly person. Follow the leadership of your pastor. Even, it even says obey <clears throat> and, and submit yourself. Now that doesn't mean that he has a blank check that he can do whatever he wants to. If he's a godly man, he wouldn't want that, that, that opportunity. And our pastor doesn't. He wants to be... Of God, be sure whatever he leads the church to do it is of God. And as he leads, we should follow. Because he's trying to lead us to be closer to God, to be more effective for the glory of God. And so I obey and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. Some people may think that being a pastor is just an easy job. All you got to do is come up with a message for Sunday morning, Sunday night, then you can go play golf the rest of the week. And I had one, one young whippersnapper ask me, he says, well, what do you do with all your free time? <laughs> but we need to remember, every pastor is going to give an account before God of how he shepherded the flock entrusted to his care. That is an awesome responsibility. Realizing that you're leading a group of people, a whole bunch of people towards God. That's a great, great, heavy responsibility. Realizing I'm going to give an account. I mean, the pastor's going to give an account how he leads this church. And that's the reason he says, so you follow their leadership. Because notice what it says. That he may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for who? Him? No. The people in the church. Is unprofitable because, in other words, you're going to, you and I are going to give an account to how we follow his leadership. And just like I said, the first church I pastored, I had one deacon. I mean, he, I mean, come to find out, I mean, when he was at work, he cussed, he chewed some tobacco, he smoked, he, and just a very ungodly man. That was his testimony. Didn't realize it until after I was there for a while. And and he was, he was at one point, he's going around and talking to different people, trying to cut something against me. And I went straight to him, basically Matthew 18, and said, you know, get cleared up. If you don't hear the first person, take a witness, or they bring the church. And trying to get it right. Because he, he was causing grief 
for the pastor. Now, again, that does not mean that if you see something you disagree with, it doesn't mean you can't come talk to the pastor. The one thing you'll find about Brother Carl, he is willing to sit down and talk to you about anything, any question, concern, or even criticism that you may have. Because he's, again, I mean, because I believe he's a truly godly, mature Christian. He can handle it. Now, that doesn't mean you just take, you know, don't take a number at the door uh, and get in line. But, so in other words, yes, follow its leadership. It doesn't mean that you have to just follow like a blind sheep. But remember, as he gives account for his leadership, you and I give an account for our followership of, of, of his leadership. That's God's way and plan. So that's what a pastor teacher does. He's for the purpose of helping perfect the saints. The first church I pastored also, I I took seriously the importance of teaching people how to live for God. And after I was there a few months, because this was an old country church that they just had a a lay preacher, so to speak. And uh, someone told me that the comment was made, well, Brother Dale surely isn't very evangelistic. And I was thinking, well, no, because most of the people that come to church are already saved. Why do I have to keep preaching the gospel when you're already saved? We need to learn how to live for the Lord. I mean, I believe that the salvation plan should be brought out regularly. But the main purpose of the pastor teacher is to help perfect the saints. Because we need that. But then notice the next thing it says, the purpose of these spiritual gifts in verse 12, for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, If any man desire, what does it say there? It says, if, <clears throat> This is the true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Let me assure you, any man that is called of God to be a pastor, teacher, and takes it seriously, takes it the way it ought to be, he is going to work at being a pastor. He's not just trying to get an easy job where he gets paid, comes up with a couple sermons, then he does what he wants. Any pastor worth his salt, he will be laboring. He'll be studying. Let me tell you something. And, you know, those of you that have taught understand this even more so. It takes work to come up with a lesson, Bible lesson. It takes work to spend time coming up with a sermon. I mean, you, think of the, I mean, you may not realize, but it generally takes hours to come up with a 30-minute sermon. Hours. And it's work. I mean, there are times, I mean, through the years also, and I'm sure every pet pre- one of the preachers here, think about it, you study and you study and study, and after a while, I need to go take a break. Because you're just... Working through so much in your thinking, okay? And so it's, it's work. But not only just the sermon and the lesson and preparation, but the overseeing part, planning and organizing and counseling. Folks, being a pastor is work. And you just mark it down. It is work. He pastor earns every bit we pay him. He labors. It's a work. And every pastor that's been in the ministry knows it is a work. And so when he says, for the work of the ministry, now that does not mean that, well, let the preacher do the painting. That's what we pay him for. Let the preacher take care of that project. That's what we pay him for. And there's some churches that have that attitude, which is unscriptural. 
A pastor's called to labor in the Word, the ministry of the Word. Now, it doesn't mean the pastor can't involved in some of that, but he's called to minister the Word of God. That's his primary function, and we need to be careful. We be sure that he does not, he does not have to be diverted from the fact that he's got to mow the grass or he's got to you know, paint the walls or do this, the other. He needs to labor in the Word of God. And it doesn't mean he's, he's below not to use the word below, doesn't mean that he can't be involved in those things. And our pastor, I've seen him many times, be sweating everything, mowing yard, helping mow yard or whatever, involved in even those things like that. I mean, it's kind of one of those things that every preacher should be willing to clean the bathrooms. But that doesn't necessarily mean he should. He should be willing to take out the trash. That doesn't mean he should. And so we need to, again, but understand, pastor, it is for the work of the ministry. The efficiency of our church, the efficiency of the finances, the efficiency, I mean, I know the Lord blessed that we have such a good qualified man through Brother Mike. But as a pastor, he oversees that too. He oversees that. And so our church is functioning so well because the oversight that our pastor is given, it is a work. It's not something just off the top of his head. It's something he labors for. So that's what a pastor does. He, he's gifted to be the overseer for the work of the ministry. Then lastly, it says they're also for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying means to build up, to encourage, to exhort, and sometimes if need be, rebuke. Again, we as God's people are not always saintly, and sometimes we need to be rebuked. There are times that some of you are not have been here a long time and know about this, but there are times we've had to lead the church to church discipline because somebody that was involved in an ungodly act and they would not repent, and so the pastor had to lead the church in that rebuking, and it was right, it was God honoring. Sometimes you have to the pastor has to deal with sin in the flock. That's part of his calling. That's part of the edification. You know, some churches, they, there's the mindset, what we, some people call the emergent church. The idea, don't talk about sin. Don't say anything negative. Just give everything positive and just, and just encourage people. Well, yes, we need to encourage people. But sometimes encouraging them is about rebuking them. They want to be right with God. There are times they have to be told that's sin. So it's all encompassing. Yes, encourage. Yes, exhort. Yes, love them. But also remember that the Word of God very plainly teaches there's a time for rebuking. And so when, when if that time comes to you or to myself, let us have a humble, teachable spirit, realizing He cares for our souls. And He just sees something that we may need to deal with so that we may be more saintly to the glory of God. The edifying of the body of Christ. So in conclusion, let us remember the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And God has given certain men spiritual gifts in order to lead the church for the purpose of being that pillar of truth. Let us never, ever, ever compromise the truth of God's holy word. It'd be far better for the doors to be shut than us to veer off 
and not teach, thus saith the Lord. Praise God we have pastors in here that do that, and teachers that do that. But God says to the local church, you are the one that's to represent me to the world. Be sure you're faithful to thus saith the Lord. I'm reading a book that got out of the uh, book by, called the, the Truth War. I've gotten about halfway through it. And he is dealing very accurately how many churches are straying from just standing for the truth of God's word. Oh, how we need to stand for the truth of God's word. There is a war for the truth to stay true. And thank God for the men that God's given us to lead us in that truth. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Oh, Father, how we thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, how you have gifted different men to lead us, to bring you glory. Father, give us courage. Give us discernment. And oh, Father, may we truly be a pillar, a lighthouse to the world around us. As the world gets darker, Lord, help us to shine brighter, proclaiming your holy word. We do thank you for our pastor and the other pastors in our midst. And Lord, we pray that you'd give them courage, strength, discernment. And Lord, use them, continue to use them to your glory. Lead in this church for your purpose. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.